want you to get your Bibles out or you can look on the screen with me this morning. Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to look at verses 8 through 10. Last week, the sermon was called Tent Life. And what I tried to suggest to you was that that picture of a tent like that is really a metaphor of our existence on planet Earth. God clearly says that this earth is transient, it's temporary, that what we're going through is temporary. In fact, our entire lives, the Bible says, is summed up in this word. It's a vapor, a vapor that's here one moment and gone the next. And so we don't use our time wisely or our resources wisely to try to build something big and permanent when God has ordered that this life would be something that is temporary and transitory. And so it's not very smart to try to live in a way that God has not ordered things. And so we took you to... Uh, Abraham, who's the father of our faith. We took you to the great chapter on the heroes of faith. That was Hebrews chapter 11. And read along with me as we review last, the text from last week. It said, It was by faith that Abraham obeyed God, obeyed rather, when God called him to leave home and to go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went, amazingly here, he went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land that God promised him, he lived there by faith. And then the, the, the text goes on to explain what that looks like. When you live by faith, you live like a foreigner, and you live in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob, the other patriarchs who inherited the same promise. They lived with the perspective of being a foreigner in a foreign land, and they lived in tents because they were moving somewhere. In fact, look at verse 10. This is where I really challenged you last week. This is what's called the posture of faith, the, the, the perspective of faith. It says here, Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. You know, we shared last week, when you're, when you're apprehended by God, something radical happens, something supernatural happens when you're genuinely born again. God changes you from the inside out. And we give up all control of our lives. We relinquish everything that we are. We surrender ourselves to the Lord. How many of you know that great little song, I surrender, I surrender all, all to Jesus, I surrender, I surrender all. That's a famous song that we sing often when there's a call given to follow Christ because it really captures in simplicity what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You relinquish control of your life. In fact, I'll just say this, many Christians, and maybe you're out there today, you're saying, man, I'm just struggling with my walk with God. I would just give you one simple word, surrender. Surrender. Why are you struggling? Surrender. Um, this is so simple. Give your, the entirety of your being to Jesus and let him take full possession of what rightfully belongs to him. And then we, we live in a certain way that Abraham lived. The Bible says God told him to go. And you know what? When God tells you to go, if you're a believer, you say yes and you go. And that's what Abraham did. In fact, I'll just say this. The truest sign of our genuine faith in Jesus is our willingness to obey him. You know, and sometimes people say, well, you know, you know, I just feel this. I just feel that. From a biblical perspective, it doesn't matter what you feel. What does this say? Sometimes people are praying about God's will for things, and, and they're wasting God's time, and they're wasting their own time. I mean, you know, God is not silent. He has spoken. He has talked to us. He has shared his heart with us. And when you read the scripture and you have faith, what you do is you read it because it's the living word and you're looking right away for how you can obey what you just read. That's genuine faith. Everything else is just fairy tale stuff. It's like, some people say, well, do you believe in God? Yeah, and this, this is the same way you believe in the Easter bunny, the fairy, you know, the fairy godmother. Uh, that's not the same. That's not saving faith. Saving faith says if God says it, I am going to embrace it and do it because I belong to him. 
And Abraham, it says, even though he received the promise, God gave him the promise, his inheritance on the other side of his obedience, that he didn't live like this was home. He didn't live in the land of the promise like it was the end of the day. It says he was courageously, confidently looking forward. And I encourage you last week, don't get stuck in the past. Don't get stuck in the failures of your past, the disappointments of the past. Now hear me, you can't just pretend like they don't exist. Deal with it. Bring it up to the blood of Jesus. Make sure if you've got relational stuff that's a mess, you, you need to go back, make restitution. We teach this in our Celebrate Recovery ministry, which is a great ministry, that you don't just pretend like the past isn't there. No, you, you deal with it properly, but then you don't stay stuck in the past. You move ahead. And I want to encourage you, some of you that are dealing with situations right now that are tough, maybe you're dealing with a financial situation, a health situation. You don't get stuck in your present. You don't, you don't get all wrapped up in, oh, how bad it is. The Bible says, confidently looking forward. That is the posture and the perspective of a man or woman of God. You're confident about the future. How many of you are confident that Christ in you can handle whatever you're going to face down the road? Man, I'm confident. The the overcomer lives in us. Yes, as as Tim said, we're going to face challenges in this life, but the devil's not going to have the end of the say on whatever that matter is. God's going to have the final say. So we're confidently looking forward. If you're saying, man, I'm in between jobs right now. Things are tight. Hallelujah. Confidently look forward to what God is going to do to open the door to provide for you because he loves you and he cares for you. Be confident in your expectation of God and where you're headed. But I want you to see this because this was an important identity thing. Live like you're a foreigner on planet earth. This world is not our final resting place. This world is not our home. This way the world thinks is not the way we're called to think. It's different. And if you try to make this world your home, you're going to be frustrated. In fact, sometimes Christians, I hear this all the time. They're like, man, you know, I thought when I gave my life to Jesus, he was going to solve all my problems. Who told you that? In fact, following Jesus creates more problems. Everything about this life works against the gospel. Everything about this life works at crossways against Jesus and his view of your life. I mean, you found out that following Christ requires perseverance and work on your part. This isn't a cakewalk. This isn't a a trip on the love boat. This is warfare. And so sometimes we get this idea and uh, we create snowflake Christians. That wasn't in the notes, but it's good. Uh, Snowflake Christians. Looking for safe places. They, there are no safe places. The only safe place is hidden in the will of Christ and following Him. That's the safe place. So the idea from last week, the big idea was simply this. We're campers. Live like a camper. That's not your final home. You're not going to spend a million dollars trying to upgrade it. That's not your identity. That's not where you live. That's where you're temporarily dwelling as you're on a journey somewhere. We're strangers. We're refugees. We're pilgrims. That's the way we are. So God says travel light. Don't get bogged down with the cares of this world. Don't get overwhelmed with all the issues of this life. Enjoy the journey that you're on, but always remember you're not home yet. Be a happy camper as you're going through some of the challenges we face, but you're not home yet. So I want you to turn this morning as we kick off this message. I want to talk to you about some tips for staying on the trail. Tips for staying on the trail. And I'm going to be fast and furious because we're going to get you out there at 12 noon sharp for our dedication. All right. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7. I want to read verses 29 through 31. Listen to Paul's counsel 
via the Holy Spirit. This is straight from the heart of the Lord. Paul says, let me say this, dear brothers and sisters, the time that remains is very short. So from now on, those with wives should not focus only on their marriage. Those who weep or who rejoice or who buy things, I mean, you know, that pretty much covers everything. You might be here this morning in a heavy state. You might be weeping or grieving over something or a real challenge in your life. Some of you might be here rejoicing. You just had an amazing trip to Cambodia. God did great things. Man, you're flying high. Or some of you are consumers, which pretty much covers all of us. Maybe you just bought something you're excited about. Those things are all great. But let's look at what verse 31 says. Or verse 30. Those who weep, those who rejoice, those who buy things, don't be absorbed in your weeping or your joy, or your possessions. This is some good balance here. It means if you're going through a difficult time, hang on. Don't get all absorbed in in your grief. Go through your grieving season, but guess what? You're going to come out on the other side. It also means if you're on the mountaintop and you're celebrating and you're so euphoric you can hardly contain yourself and you're running around skipping and singing nonstop, do so knowing that at some point you're going to stop singing because guess what? Life's just not that way. We go through tents, we go through valleys, valleys, high, high marks, everything in between. Also, if you just got something, you just purchased something, you're so excited, the new car, the new tent, whatever it is that you got, don't be absorbed, the Bible says, in our stuff or in your emotional high state or your emotional low state. Look what it says. Those who use the things of the world should not become attached to them. For this world as we know it will soon pass away. It means hold on loosely. It means hang in there. If you're, if, if you're going in the valley, hang in there. You're coming out. If you're on the mountaintop, hang in there. You might go down a few notches. It's okay. We're not being attached to this world or this world system. We need to stay on the trail. Now, let me just share a story with you from Marion and I's past. We were youth pastors here for, for about 12 years. And uh, one of the things we were really big on was getting our kids out of America into another country. Because we believe that more could happen in one week in a foreign country than in 52 weeks in normal ministry here in America. Because there's something about getting us out of our comfort zone into a place where the needs are much greater that really is a wake-up call for Americans. Are you with me? Uh, So we try to get as many of our young people out of America as possible. In fact, we officially would shut down our youth ministry in the summer months because we expected everybody to be gone. How's that for cool? All right, so... We live that, though. Mom and dad and the elders of this church would bless us. Marion and I would lead teams. But then as we matured and as we got more experience, we started being what was called country directors. Country directors were in charge of the whole country, and we might have 90 to 100 teens from all across America uh, that were under our care for a month at a time on the mission field. Now, this is what I found to be the case. You didn't have to worry about the days when they were out on ministry assignment, when they were focused on ministry, because nothing ever happened on those days but great stuff. People were getting saved. Uh, kids were breaking out of their comfort zone, sharing their testimony for the first time. I mean, it was amazing. But um, amazingly, this is what you had to be worried about was the free day. Because how many of you know on the free day, that's when everybody wanted to experience something new and exotic and wild in a foreign country? Now, let me just tell you something. If you've ever been in a foreign country, your goal should not be to experience as much and to run out on your own and to try to experience as much of the country by yourself as you possibly can. Because guess what? You've never been there. And you don't know the way it operates. And you don't know what the hazards are, the risks are. You don't know any of that kind of stuff. So that's why the psalmist would say stuff like this. Lord, I'm a foreigner and a stranger on planet Earth. Teach me your ways. I mean, you know, having a heart of prudence and 
and, and, uh, and humility and walking slowly when you're in a strange place is really smart. So here's what we tell our team leaders when they take the teams out on the free days. Hey, use your head. Don't be crazy. Remember the teenagers. Watch them. Make sure that you stay all together. How many of you know it's a terrible thing when a teenager is missing in a foreign country and you're responsible for them? Um, we're not sure where they're at, but we're really hopeful they'll return before the trip comes back home. You know, I mean, that's not a good thing to say to a parent. So I would always give the talk. Use your head. Bring them all back. You know, on and on and on. Well, one day we got ready for dinner, and as our habit was, everybody comes back together. The team all meets for dinner. And uh, when they all came back, we're not missing one. We're missing an entire team. Where are they? Well, here's what happened. This was the behind-the-scenes story. The leaders of the team decided it would be a great idea to go explore this volcano, uh, you know, we'll climb the volcano thing. But here's the problem. They didn't get permission. Not only that, they climbed over a fence that clearly was a mark saying, like, don't go here. The whole team followed their leaders over a fence up the side of this mountain. And here's the little piece of local truth, you know, that they didn't know. Every day at the same time, clouds would come in. And when the clouds come in on the mountains, if you're up there, you're stuck for the night because you can't see a foot in front of your face. So we have 30 teenagers from all across America and two team leaders stuck on a mountain in the fog. And here's what I found out later. They always tell you the worst part as a leader later, right? Isn't that the way your kids do it? Oh, yeah, Dad, by the way. Um, yeah. They were walking on the side of this mountain on a foot to 80, some, some parts, a foot to 80, 18 inches of a trail with a sheer cliff drop-off in the fog. If one of those kids slips, they're dead. Now, by the grace of God, they all came back. But you talk about a life lesson on staying on the trail. Um, if you get off the trail there, you're dead. How many of you know that's a great picture of our spiritual walk with the Lord? Now, let me give you some tips for when you're hiking and you're camping for staying on the trail. First point is you always have to remember where you're going. You've got to never lose sight of your destination. It's a bad thing if you're hiking up to Ruby Falls or something and you forget why you're hiking in the first place. How many of you know there's a lot of Christians like that? They start off really good and they forget why they got on this journey in the first place. Let me tell you in case you've forgotten where we're going. We're going to Daddy's house. We're going to Father's house. It's going to be amazing. We're going to a person and a place. And let me just share this with you. The person that we're heading to to meet is, is none other than Jesus Christ himself. We're going to be reunited with him when he returns on this planet with glorified bodies, of course, his glorified body, and we're going to rule and reign with him forever and ever and ever in the most perfect environment that we've ever experienced. This is going to be awesome. We're going to have intimacy with Jesus that we've longed for, fought for, worked for all this life. There's going to be an amazing heart connect with our Savior. This is going to be spectacular. But how many know you're also made for a place? You're made for planet Earth. You're created to live. You've got physical hands and feet. You eat stuff. You like to breeze. You like to blow stuff up. We're made for planet Earth. And we're coming back to a glorified planet Earth only without sin, uh, which is going to be absolutely awesome. That's where we're headed. That's the destination. And so I want to encourage you. Along the way, God has made this world to enjoy many, many things. If you get a picture with me, we got... Hell down here, I'm just, not spatially, but just to give you a picture. Hell, we've got heaven, and then we've got planet earth. How I many you know planet earth is a mixture right now of hell and heaven? 
We're living in a mixture world right now. We see amazing things. We still see beauty in the created realm. We still enjoy many of the good gifts that God has given us. But how many of you know all it takes is, is watching the evening news and you can tell this isn't heaven. There's a lot of evil. There's a lot of wickedness. There's a lot of perversion. There's a lot of selfishness and pride and, and all kinds of evil in the world. We're living in a mixture right now between heaven and hell, and that's where we find ourselves in this tent world going from campsite to campsite. But how many of you know you never lose sight of your destination and all the good things that you enjoy this side of eternity, you enjoy as a, as a secondary affection toward your destination. In other words, if my money, my house, my relationships, stuff that I'm involved in are keeping me from my final destination, I better get rid of them. In other words, whatever secondary pleasures I have, I, I, they're supposed to support my primary pleasure, which is Jesus Christ and my passion for him. Are you all hearing me? So enjoy this life. Enjoy vacations. Enjoy the summer. Enjoy the sun. Enjoy the cool breeze. Enjoy all these things that God created. But hear me, don't you dare make an idol out of the things that God has blessed you with and never take Jesus off the central place of your affections and the center of your focus or you're absolutely making an idol out of stuff that he meant for you to enjoy but not more than him. Does that make sense? He's got to be our primary passion. He has to be our, our priority. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these other things are added to us. Matthew Henry, the great Bible expositor, said this, it ought to be the business of every day to prepare for our last day. That's focus. Every one of us should wake up with a reality of where you're going and the long-term perspective on your mind so that you know how to properly live today. Does that make sense? If you know, sometimes my kids will say, Dad, 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 do you mind if we stop and pick up so-and-so on our way to the mall? I'll say, Honey, so-and-so lives in St. John. The mall is over there. We cannot go get so-and-so on our way to over there because they're opposite directions. Now, let me just share something with you. Christian, if your final destination is Father's house, you're not going to get there by living after the world and running after things that are separating you from God, distracting you from your final destination. Father's house ain't over there. It's over there. You live with your final destination in sight or you get messed up. You can't go two directions at the same time. You have to make your choices, your decisions. Uh, the, the, every day when you wake up, you, if you don't have your final destination in mind, you're going to get lost in life. And how many people have we seen get lost in life? It's a tragedy. So point number two, quickly here, stay on the trail. I wanted to shake those leaders when they got back. Do you understand we could be sending back body bags from this country, not because they died in the call of duty, but because they died under your care on a free day, for God's sake. Stay on the trail. What is the trail? The trail, biblically speaking, is called holiness. Look at Isaiah chapter 35, verse 8. A great road will go through that once deserted land. Listen to the name of this road. It's going to be named the highway of holiness. Evil-minded people are never going to travel on this trail. It's only going to be for those who walk in God's ways. Everybody say God's ways. Fools 
Fools will never walk there. You know, Jesus said it this way in Matthew 7, 13. The highway to hell is broad. And it's a gate. Its gate is wide for the many who will choose that way. This is interesting. If you know your final destination is Father's house, and you know that the trail that you're hiking to get there is a trail with the name holiness, does that not help us determine the kind of choices that we make with our lives, the kind of things that we love, the kind of way we spend our time, our talent, our treasure. If you knew that that was a destination and that the only path to Father's house was a path called holiness, would it change your life in any way? I hope it would. Isn't it interesting that many, many Christians today, the last place they're thinking about is where they're going to spend forever And they're certainly not thinking about what are the things in my life, lifestyle choices, that are going to contribute to fitting me for the final day. If if the highway is holiness, obviously we're not talking about a self-righteous holiness. We're not talking about just a bunch of do-gooders. We're talking about people who have had a supernatural encounter with Jesus, the Holy One. How many of you know Jesus was holier than any person who ever lived, and he was happier than any person who ever lived? Jesus was the ultimate happy camper, all right? The ultimate happy camper. But I'm just going to challenge you a little bit. A lot of times, here's what Christians do in their walk with God. They're like those teenagers walking in the fog along the cliff, and and, and instead, this is what parents do, get away from that ledge! Isn't that what you not do? I took my family one time to Tennessee, and we were climbing in the mountains, and my son Joel just had way too much energy, too much youthfulness, and before we could say, stop, he was gone, and he climbing all the way up, and all of a sudden, we, we get to the top, and I'm bringing my whole tribe up there, it's this little narrow path, we got babies and little toddlers, trust me, I'm, I'm keeping them all in, but I'm turning them into man, manhood material here. But Joel jumps over the ledge, and I don't know where he went. I was hoping there was somewhere to land on the other side. And Mary was like, ah, let out one of those mother's cries. But Joel had already spied it out. There was a ledge down there, and he jumped over and landed on that ledge. Now listen, I mean, I get it. That's what happens. But, but the heart, if you knew that if you fell off that ledge, you're dead, you would not go sitting on there like these people on the Internet. <gasps> Woo, selfie. Did you? Okay. All you see, you see the stupid people who survived on the internet. But how many of you know there's stupid stupid people who didn't survive the selfie? I saw one of those videos too. The knuckleheads that are out there trying to do a selfie and their hand slips and they fall like 50 stories and they're dead. How many of you know that's stupid? Let me just say it in a more gentle way. That's really stupid. If you had a brain in your body, you're not going to walk up to the edge of eternity and see, that's how close I can get to hell without falling in. You're stupid. If you know that's hell and you know that has nothing to do with Christ's likeness, why are you even there? I get amazed at some of the entertainment choices people make. How many of you know what you do to entertain yourself says more about the condition of your soul than anything else? I'm going to say that again. How you entertain yourself. All those movies you're seeing. All that stuff you're doing when you're, when you're not here on Sunday morning. All that stuff says more about the condition of your soul than anything you could tell me. Because you know what? What you take pleasure in reveals the condition of your heart. 
I'm just going to keep on this for a while. Say, well, pastor, let's talk about something. Pastor, you know, the Bible doesn't really forbid this or that or the other thing. You know what? You may be right, but I'm not going to get close enough to find out. In other words, I, I, all right, I'm going to get something else. There are people that are all about eating clean. My body's a temple. I'm going to eat clean. I'm going to build this temple. I'm going to eat clean. I'm not going to put anything in this body that would not be clean food, organic food. No, no chickens in a cage in this body. Actually, I like my chicken any way it comes, as long as it's fried on my plate. That's the problem. All right. Um, but you're all about being clean. What about having a clean spirit and a clean soul? What about being clean where it matters? Not that taking care of our bodies does not matter. But listen, some people are more concerned with taking care of this tent that's going to be gone. Kaput. Some of you that are under 20, just look at the old person next to you and go, God, you're right. Just tell I mean, don't let them know. Just look. No, don't do that. Just look at me. I was once your age. Why are we not more concerned with keeping clean when it matters, when the road to hell, the Bible says, is so incredibly wide and everybody is on it? And the road to heaven is so incredibly narrow that there's few that find it. And once you get on it, you better pay close attention because there's a lot at stake if you fall off either side. Why in the world, young person, see, here's the lie. You think it is more satisfying to indulge your flesh in things that are going to kill you than you do in pursuing Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and making sure on the inside you are fit for where you're going to spend forever. And if there's no joy or no passion or no zeal for eternity burning in your heart, we have deeper problems. We're not focused. We're not thinking about things correctly. If a decision that we make or something can disqualify us from an eternity that's beyond our wildest dreams and it's the fulfillment of everything God created us to long for and we're willing to throw it away because we're distracted, because we're compromised. It's interesting that the Hebrews 11 faith chapter is immediately followed in our, our Bibles where there's chapter, you know, uh, marks and verses, which wasn't there, obviously, when the letter was written, but we put them there for our benefit. Hebrews 11 flows right into Hebrews 12, and it says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set for us. The Bible clearly says that what's slowing us down on the journey is sin. It's our carnal appetites. It's the things that cloud our vision. It's the things that rob our taste for more of Jesus in our life. And I love this. The Bible says, run with endurance. I've seen so many Christians over the years begin so well. And boy, they were sprinting. Man, they were... How many of you know that the, the journey towards heaven is an upward climb? It's, the Bible talks about marching up to Zion, the city of the king. You had to march uphill to get to God's holy city. Figuratively speaking, that was a picture of our eternal resting place with the Lord. 
It's an uphill climb. It's not easy. It's not for the faint-hearted. It's not for sprinters. It's for people who, I like to say, are plotters. They're people who put one foot in front of the next, and they don't quit. They just keep huffing and puffing, and they keep moving their way up the hill. They don't quit. It's about endurance. It's not about speed. It's not about the flash in the pan. How many of us have started off so well, only to burn off? We got distracted. We got hit by life. We got we got tr- sidetracked. We thought we'd climb over the fence and that God didn't care or God would forgive us. How many Christian carcasses are on the side of the road? How many people's faith has been shipwrecked because of poor choices that they made? I talked to a man the other day whose wife has been an alcoholic for most of her life. You know how she was introduced to her first drink? She was introduced to a bunch of Christians who said it's really not a big deal to drink. Go ahead and have a drink. Well, it might not be a big deal to you to drink, but it was a really big deal to her because it destroyed the rest of her life for God's sake. It used to be people cared about these things. It used to be you cared about how you looked in public. It used to be you cared about the condition of your heart and not that something was okay. It was whether something dulled your passion for God. It's not about being okay. God hasn't called us to be okay. God's called us to be on fire. God's called us to be in love. God's called us to be burning. And when something puts a damper on your fire, it's not good for you. Now, I'm not, hear me this morning. I'm not preaching, don't drink. I'm saying, though, your choices, for God's sake, have an impact on other people's lives. And you better be aware of that. How many people get into their liberty, get into their liberty, and they use their liberty for drunkenness and perversion and licentiousness. And here's the sad thing. You're going somewhere. You're on a holy trail somewhere that matters. Why do you open up to compromise? Why would you even make choices that would send you the other direction when God has so much for you? Hear me as your pastor today. If we could see what is ahead of us, we would throw everything off quickly. If we understood what was behind us, we would run as fast as we could in the opposite direction. We are so dull to things that matter. How many young men have been trapped in pornography and developed twisted understanding of their sexuality because they just entertain that first look, that first high that then captured you and twisted you and wouldn't let you go, that first high that instead of enabling you to be all that God called you to be, sent you on a path the opposite direction. Thank God he never quits on us. But I'm just telling you, guard your soul with all diligence. Keep your eye on where you're going for God's sake. Your soul is at risk. Next thing, what are we going to do Friday night? Do something that makes your heart more on fire for Jesus. That's what you do. Pastor. Pastor, do you think it's wrong to see PG, P movies, PG movies, PR movies, R movies? Who cares what an alphabet is? Does the movie inspire you to love God? That's what I'm asking. 
Does the movie inspire you to justice and truth and beauty and purity and things that are lovely? Everything in this world will encourage you to take the path of least resistance. Everything in this world. In fact, if you're going to have integrity in the marketplace, you'll be mocked. Man, if you're a man out here and you choose to develop purity with your eyes and you make decisions on business trips and other things uh, that you're going to guard your heart, you will be mocked. If you're like our vice president who doesn't travel with a woman or have lunch with a woman outside of his wife by his side, you'll be ridiculed by the world as some Puritan idiot. But God values these things. God values when we put a guard and a fence around our hearts because if our destination is to be with him and enjoy him and to rule and reign with him, we will make sure we guard everything that keeps us on the line. I'm preaching way too long. I'm... We got to go. Please hear my heart today. If, if I'm a team leader and my kids are on free day, you're all my kids, we're on free day, I want to bring you all back home. I don't want any body bags from our congregation. I want to bring you all back home. Back home. Say, Father, all the ones that you entrusted to our care, they made it. And they burned with a heart for you. They said no to worldly things. They kept their eye on the trail. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to feed you. We're going to celebrate We're going to dream together. We're going to do some prophetic stuff together. We're going to gather around. We're going to tear up some soil to the glory of God. And uh, there's just something fun about ripping open the ground that belongs to Jesus and saying, yes, God, we possess this part right here for your glory. That's going to be fun. And then we're going to pray. We're going to dedicate this project to Jesus. Amen. So, Father, thank you for our family. Thank you for our destination. Thanks for a clear trail that you've marked out. We can follow Jesus all the way to Father's house. And Lord, help us to stay close to you as you lead us and guide us. Bless us today. God, may this day, uh, again, be truly historic, may be a breakthrough. Just remove all the things we've been fighting with behind the scenes. Let everything fall into place for your glory. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen.